Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church this fine morning. Let's begin by praying together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you for him, the fact that he is your son and that you sent him here. He became the God-man so he could go to the cross and die for our sins. And you raised him from the dead on the third day so that whoever believes in Jesus Christ, our Savior, will never perish. Instead, you give us eternal life. Father, today we just would ask that the Holy Spirit would, uh, would guide and direct us in everything that we'll be doing together. We also pray, Father, that we would uh, concentrate and listen attentively to God's word, and most importantly, to put it into practice. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand and join us for song service. Good morning again, everybody. I want to give you a couple of announcements as we get started today. Pastor Kingsley Amaniki is uh, the missionary of the month. Sounds kind of funny, but you know what I mean. Um, Here's him with his family, beautiful family. He's going to send me another picture now because I think that's like a year and a half old or something. But that's the one that I have. Yeah, he's the only male in a family of six. Woo, dog. Just wait till they get married. Yeah. All right, that's not funny. Yes, it is. Um, once again, he is, you know, the, the COVID-19 um, pandemic has made it difficult for everybody to travel, but he still is leaving hope for the fact that he can get to certain places in Africa this year. He wants to evangelize and support the pastors there in Nigeria, his homeland, uh, Zambia, Liberia, and maybe even South Florida at the end of the year. Um, I want to ask you to please pray for Kingsley and also for the men that he is mentoring, especially Victor. Um, that's Victor. He's in Liberia. Um, they're working on a building right there. And also Michael. Many of you may know Michael now because he's joining us lately on Skype for Thursday evening Bible study. So please keep them in prayer. Also, again, this week, I want to make everybody aware of a need that we have concerning the homeless ministry. Uh, Bud and Kim Duncan are... Um, fantastic in ministering to the homeless in a very uh, challenging time. And it takes a lot of courage to do what they're doing. By the way, you may say, where are they? Well, you know where they are? They're staying home for our sake because they're being out there being potentially exposed. And so they don't want to spread it. So that's the only reason they're not here. But um, they, they need food donations, um, obviously non-perishable items. If you, when you bring them, you can just bring them into the office. If, when you first come in on the right, leave them on the table there and we'll take it from there. And I want to mention finances because they're not asking for it, but you can imagine that there's financial needs. In fact, um, in some cases, they're actually putting people up at hotels um, so to get them back on their feet. So that's, that's an, that can be an expensive proposition. So please keep that in prayer. Probably have more to say about that. Um, I don't even know if Bud wanted me to mention it, but it is true. So I'm going to let you know. Um, finally, COVID-19, um, as, as I think most of us know, that uh, the numbers are going up, especially in South Florida, especially for cases. Um, and the uh, county of Broward has issued a new uh, order, and I think we read through it, and I think there's two things. Um, one is, I know this is hard, but to encourage you to wear masks all the time, you know, even when you're seated, if you can, okay, if you can. Um, there is an exception. Anyone who has a medical condition or disability that prevents you from wearing a covering is automatically exempt. Um, 
the, the other thing about it is, is that, of course, there's the social distancing. And I think we could um, maybe be a little more attentive. I mean, if there's one thing I, I think I've noticed is that we do kind of congregate at times at the end. I understand that it's a beautiful thing, but we just have to keep our wits about it. Hopefully this thing will pass in a few weeks um, and the numbers will be back down again. So I do want to update you with that and um, let you know what the, what the guidelines are. All right, today we're going to be in the last verse of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, verse 58. If you could turn your Bibles, we'll start up in verse 54 to get rolling and see a little of the context for verse 58. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 is where we'll begin. 1 Corinthians 15, 54. 15, 54. Our message today is titled, Always Abounding in the Work of the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's coming right out of verse 58. So let's begin by reading this passage together this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 58. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable. Of course, that's the body, the human body. Our perishable bodies now. Imperishable, resurrected, immortal body in the future. And this mortal will have put on immortality. There's a promise God has promised us as members of the body of Christ that there will be a day when we will exchange these bodies of corruption for a body just like the Lord Jesus Christ in his humanity. That will happen at the rapture, when, when the dead will rise first and we who are alive will go and join them. By the way, that is great news. The, the, the worse we see things going on on the planet Earth today, the better news that rapture is, right? Because we know we're assured that we will be delivered out of things before it gets really bad. All right, so that's a, that's a hope. That's an anticipation. Um, so he says, after this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, and we saw this in the Old Testament prophets last week, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Remember, we saw that the death was really just a passageway from this life to the next. But because of sin, it has a sting for those who's, who have not dealt with the sin problem, if I could put it that way. The fact that the Lord Jesus Christ died for us and our sins means he took the stinger out. Okay? And the power of sin is the law. Remember, the, the sin is uh, not an active mode until the law comes in and challenges it, and then it rises up in opposition. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory, the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You already have the victory if you're a believer in Christ. You've already been victorious over sin and death itself because you are in union with Christ if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You've already overcome. You have the victory. And we're going to see how important that is when we get to verse 58 in just a second. He gives us the victory. It's his, and he gives it to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore... That word, therefore, always means that take what you've seen until now and then bring it in. And on the basis of that, I'm now going to tell you something. Usually it's something practical. Usually it's something having to do with our daily lives. Now that you've seen this, now that you've been to the mountaintop and seen the resurrection of the dead, now I'm going to bring you back down into the valley of your lives, but it's going to be transformed by what you now know and have seen. And now I want you to turn on that basis and then live according to the victory that you have won. Notice, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, hold your ground, always abounding, always abounding in the work of the Lord, 
knowing that your toil, your work, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The grace of God is super abundant, and we're to be living in that grace, to be abounding in the work the Lord has given us to do. Well, today we're going to look at one single verse, verse 58. And I know it's been a while since we've had a Sunday message service dedicated to a single verse. I have to laugh a little bit because there were times when there would be a month that was dedicated to a single verse. Uh, but, that, you know, that's really too slow. I mean, because the fact of the matter is, is that Corinthians, anybody who received a letter from Paul, I mentioned this many times, but the whole thing would have been read in one setting. And so, so it's kind of sticks stick too long on one verse, really it kind of defeats the purpose of having the flow and everything in context. But today, we're going to look at one verse, verse 58. It's the final verse in chapter 15, and it's very significant. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Knowing that your toil is not in vain. Therefore, Remember, it's, it's referring back to everything Paul has taught them in chapter 15. His subject has been the resurrection of the dead. He has said that the, the resurrection of Christ is, is the first fruits and we're the harvest that will follow. He says that if you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then you have no hope. And then he, then he painted a tremendous picture. Verses 19 or so to 28. Saying, listen, this is how it's going to look in the big picture. He said, you know, Christ the first fruits, then those who are his that is coming. For us, that's the rapture. After that, of course, he, he has the kingdom. But then he goes and he says, Christ will reign until all the enemies of God and of Christ have been de- dealt with, demolished. And at that point, this is in the future, after the millennial kingdom, after Satan and the fallen angels have been put in the lake of fire, after those unbelievers who have rejected the death of Christ as their salvation, are put in the lake of fire. After all of that, then Jesus Christ, who is over everything now, takes that entire kingdom and gives it to the Father again. So that the Father, once again, is at the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There will be a new heavens and a new earth, and the Lord Jesus Christ will turn it and hand it over to the Father again. What a sweep of, of, of history that that was in those few verses. All related to the resurrection of the dead, and then he, of course, gets into the, in, in, into the uh, description of the fact. Listen, you know, you may wonder, how can a dead body be brought to life again? But he goes in and he talks about, remember, the seed becoming a plant. He talks about the many kinds of bodies out there in the world and in, in, in heavens. And he's pointing them towards one thing, which is, you're going to receive a resurrection body that will never die. All right? So he says, now, therefore... In evaluating all of that, in taking in everything that I've taught you about the resurrection of the dead, I want, I want to say one more thing, and I want to say something, Paul says, about your daily life now. You see, see that's the way things work, particularly in the epistles. Well, Jesus, too. But he, he will teach something. Okay, The Lord will teach something. Paul will teach something. But he won't leave it there. He never leaves it there. So many believers want to leave it there. Oh, that was a great sermon, Pastor Polly. Oh, that is such, oh, that makes me feel so good. But you can't leave it there. You have to then take it and say, now, now that you've been given that amazing gift of that, uh, having your eyes of your heart open, understand the power that you have, and then go live according to that you've learned. 
What, what's the point of learning something if you're not going to live according to it? Right? What's the point of studying the U.S. Constitution in history class if you're going to you know, ignore it in the rest of your life? Right? That doesn't make any sense. Neither does that make any sense in the Christian life. It doesn't make any sense. Just look at the, look at the Lord saying, I want you to love others as I have loved you. And you're like, oh, wow, what a great principle. I'm going to take that. I'm going to make a bumper sticker out of it. I'm going to put it in my car. And then when I'm driving in that car, I'm going to be aggressive with everybody on the road. Well, well, wait a minute. What happened to what it says on the bumper sticker? That's the key. The key is to actually live according to what you say you believe. You say you believe in the fruit of the Spirit? Then live according to it. Live in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness, and faithfulness, and self-control. That's where he said, look, he, he died for us, remember, so that he could purify us of people for himself. Well, that's important. It's not just understanding what's, what's been done for us, and, and that's, the, that's where everything starts, don't get me wrong, but then there's the other shift to how we live. Therefore, back to everything Paul's taught them about the resurrection of the dead. Again, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And indeed, knowing is the first step. Knowing what you know, do these things. Be steadfast, be immovable. Knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ has conquered sin and death itself, Be steadfast. Be firm in what you believe. And then abound in the work of the Lord. You're free. You've been been empowered. Now go and make everything that you can out of the gifts you've been given by the Lord. Because none of that work is in vain in the Lord. Here in verse 58, Paul really issues four commands, right? Be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abound in the work of the Lord. And know that your toil is not in vain. Well, the verbs in verse 58, here comes a little Greek lesson for everybody. They're in what's called the imperative mood. They're different moods, all right? The imperative mood is the mood of command. All right, do this, don't do that. That's the imperative mood. Well, it's very interesting. This is significant. The reason why is that chapter 15, hardly any verbs at all are in the imperative mood. That's a long chapter, 58 verses. But when you, I, I did this. You know, I took some time and just went in the Greek and looked at every verb in chapter 58. And it turns out that there's only two passages that have any imperative mood verb. Most of them are what they call indicative. That's teaching, right? This is true. This is true. This is true. Right? Now we have command based on that. There's only one other passage in the whole chapter. That, refer, that has verbs in the imperative mood, the mood of command, and we're going to take a look at it. Please go back to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. This is the only other passage in all of chapter 15 that includes commands. And what we're going to do is we're going to compare and contrast what, what he's saying in verses 33 and 34 and what he says in our passage today in verse 58. Let's look at verses 33 to 34, 1 Corinthians 15. Do not be deceived. Does that sound like a positive command or a negative command? Do not be deceived. Negative, right? Do not, it's something you shouldn't do, in other words. That's what I mean by negative, yeah. It's good not to be deceived. I, I should ask that question more clearly, but he's telling what not to do. 
Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you are. You're not sober-minded. Become it. Stop sinning. Can you see how that's another do not? Stop sinning, right? Because they were. For some have no knowledge of God. Notice the connection between knowledge and how you live. Right? Those who have no knowledge of God will be bad company. They'll corrupt your morals. Those who have no knowledge of God will not be sober-minded. Those who have no knowledge of God will be, will be intentionally sinning all the time. And then, then the, the kicker is what? I speak this to your shame. Now, again, let's, let's consider hearing that from Paul. Don't be deceived. What does that mean? You're deceived right now. That's not a good thing. Bad company corrupts good morals. What does that mean? You've been hanging out with the wrong people. Become sober-minded. Wake up. You know, get sober. You're drunk on all these ideas that are they're anti-God. And stop sinning. What does that mean? It means they're sinning, in some cases flagrantly, like we've seen in the rest of the book. Some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to you. Shame. It's not very often that Paul um, says that. It's telling the, the people in his letters that I'm ashamed of you. Very, that's a severe thing coming from Paul. Well, verse 58 is the opposite of verses 33 to 34. Okay? Remember again, verse 58, if you want to look at it again for a second. Therefore, my beloved brethren. That sounds a little different than I speak this to your shame, doesn't it? My beloved bread fan. Bread fan? Brethren. I am a fan of bread. Haven't had a bagel lately either, so maybe that's... Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Can you, can you see how he's telling to do things? Not to, not, not to stop sinning, but be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Well, you see, in verses 33 to 34, with the not being deceived and becoming sober-minded, stop sinning, speaking this to your shame, that serves as a warning. At that point in chapter 15, Paul is warning the Corinthians against several things here. You're hanging around with the wrong people. I've got to warn you about that. Your thinking is not sober. You've got to change that. You're involved with all these areas of sin and you don't care. You've got to stop that. All right, you, what's the key? Learn more about God. I speak this to your shame. See, verses 33 to 34, it's a warning. Warning. You're in danger for these different things, from how you think and how you're behaving, who you're hanging around with. I speak this to your shame. That's a warning. If, if someone says, you ought to be ashamed of yourself, do you think they're going to compliment you right after that? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You did so well and no. No, it's a warning. He says, stop. Stop sinning. On the other hand, verse 58 is encouragement. See how they're the opposite? Warning, encouragement. All right? Now, this is what parents do, right? Sometimes they, they encourage, sometimes they warn. Same thing with the Lord. Sometimes he encourages, sometimes he warns. We love it when he is encouraging. We don't love it when he's warning. But the warning is really, the, the more, in certain respects, more important. Because you can't get on with... That's why, with what he wants you to do, if you're hanging out and what he doesn't want you to do. Right? You're supposed to lay aside the old man first. Then be renewed in the breathing of your, of your spirit. And then put on the new man. Both are important. The warning and then the encouragement. We need both. Right? So that um, there's times when I'm saying things that are probably rub you the wrong way. All right? Well, that's inevitable. 
If we're going to go through a letter verse by verse, there will be things that will be challenging, unpleasant, rub you the wrong way. By the way, this isn't for you folks here necessarily, but for anybody who may be. By the way, I want to say hi to everybody on the internet. We have groups that are always on the internet. They're in other parts of the country. But as you know, in these days, we also have people who are usually with us. That can't be for whatever reason. They have young children or they're elderly or whatever it is. A lot of reasons why there are not so many people here right now. Right? Hopefully they're all online. I'm going to check up afterwards and give them a call. Hey, at, at 1037, what did I say today? No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but you see, um, if, if you're involved with a church that only has lovey-dovey stuff, only, like, live your best life now, and everything's great, and you got no problems anymore because you're a Christian, and God wants you to be a millionaire. And every week, that's all you hear. That's, that itself should be a big warning. That's not reality, and it's not the Word of God. Oh, it's part of the Word of God. But you also have to be taught the warnings, what not to do, how not to think. You know, there's so many... If you look through the New Testament epistles of Paul, you'll find out that a lot of what he's concerned about is false teaching and bad thinking. And there's a ton of that today all over the church because they're not literate in the Word of God. I told you last week, a couple of weeks ago, about that sign on a church, on a church. And it said, um, I forget, I can't remember anymore, but it was talking about being um, hygienic, right? And it said, Hygienesis 3.16, Right? Now, there's a lot of verses in the book of Genesis. <laughs> there's like 50. Why? Then you go, I just wait a minute. That doesn't sound like a good passage to be trying to talk about hygiene. I went back and it says, it's talking about how women will be under a curse and will be under their man. And I'm thinking, boy, I hope that that's a woman pastor that's in charge of that church. <laughs> anyway, I have a sick sense of humor. But, but, you know, if you're not, point is, is that the way you learn to think right is to think with Jesus' mind, and the way you do that is by going to God's Word on a daily basis. We gather once a week here, and we gather on Thursdays on Skype. Those are kind of superchargers, right? Where we kind of have this undivided time when we're together, either virtually or really, and then we're kind of, kind of immersed in God's Word. But every day, it's so important. I, I would highly encourage, I know a lot of you do, I, that would be the first thing you do in the morning. You pray, and then you go to that God's word. Have it, you know, build you up. Yeah, and challenge you too. All right? That's so important. So again, verse 58, encouragement. Paul says, you're my beloved brethren. All right? That's, not, that's very different from I speak this to your shame. He issues positive commands. So if you were in verses 33 to 34 where you got the warning, and then he goes through the rest of his teaching on the resurrection of the dead, and then you get to verse 58. I think you see, wait a minute, this resolves it. I get it. I know what I'm not supposed to do. I've been warned, and now I'm being encouraged. And that's always where the Lord ends. That's always where Paul ends, is with encouragement. Encouragement. We need both. Well, that's part of what's going on in verse 58, resolving that tension that was started with the warning. But it's more significant also, in a very basic way. A lot of you have been with us learning this entire letter of 1 Corinthians. And so you know that throughout this letter, Paul has had to correct, correct, correct many kinds of bad thinking, many kinds of terrible behavior. And when he did that, all of that, all right, he did it, as it were, under the shadow of the cross. He was saying, listen, the, the cure 
for your bad behavior is the cross of Christ. And you need to spend time under the cross of Christ, understanding the significance of what his death really meant. That's mo- most of the letter is under that. Why? Because that's the answer to wickedness. That's always the answer to any wickedness or sin in our lives. It's always the cross of Christ. And again, that's why it's preparatory. You see, we have to have our, our head screwed on straight about sin, right? And understand what the cross has accomplished for that before we're freed up to live in the resurrection. You see it? There's both. That's why his, his death first and then his resurrection dealt with the sin problem was victorious over death and under the curse of the law. He wiped that out first. Then he's resurrected from the dead. And then there's a whole life we live in a victorious way because he's now risen from the dead and at the right hand of the Father. But the cross is the answer to wickedness in their lives and in ours. In our lives, we should never, when we, when we see ourselves in a pattern of sinning, we should never delude ourselves in thinking, I'm going to fix that. All right? We should always say, I'm going to the cross with that. All right? I know that I'm going to go there and understand that Jesus Christ had died for that sin. But even in addition to that, that he died to sin itself. And then when I died, I died with him to sin. Therefore, how should he who is dead to sin still live in it? See, that's the solution to areas of sinning. You go to the cross, have your mind, thoughts changed, right? And consider yourself who you are. I'm dead to sin. But then in chapter 15, he has brought us to the heights of our hope as a Christian, the resurrection of our bodies. That's the heights. That's the mountaintop. And then in verse 58, what does he do? He comes back again, down to our everyday behavior. Now, when we went up the mountain with him, our everyday behavior, in terms of the Corinthians especially, was really not good. But, right, that's why he had to keep dealing with it with the cross. Then finally he says, now, now that I, by the way, taught you on spiritual gifts, now I'm going to bring you to the, the resurrection. And I'm going to have you understand what that's all about. Then I'm going to go back into your life. Right? And we're, and we're going to see everything differently. Because... When he returns in verse 58 to our everyday behavior, the landscape has been totally transformed. I mean, silly example, but this person's living their life and they, you know, they're going to work every day or they're going to school and it's kind of you know, the same, the old thing, the places, the people. Then they fall in love. And then what happens? Everything looks amazing. Maybe that's never happened to you. I'm sorry if it hasn't, but. I know in Hollywood this happens anyway. But see, that, see, in other words, what you know and the hope that you have can totally transform how you see everything around you. All right? When we see the resurrection, the fact that we're going to be resurrected, that that's the ultimate answer to the problem of death, then that should, that, if, we, if we're just honest about that and we just take it like a child would take it for what it is, Think about a whole novel where all you're reading about is all the horrible things that are happening to people. And then you're like, oh, I hope this will end soon. But then before it ends, you find out that, you know what? There's a resurrection from the dead. And that's going to resolve everything. You see it? That's the truth for every believer in Christ. Knowing that, knowing that, think about how we can live now. Think about how we can overcome our fear of things. Think about how we can overcome our despair and our Self-condemnation, right? Think how we cannot be captive anymore 
to, to, to a legalistic view of life for ourselves and others. This all, by the way, frees us up to live in the power of God, to live in the grace of God, to live a grace-filled life, right? That's what happens. We come back down from the mountaintop and we see that everything looks different. Our enemies look different. Our family members look different. The poor and the homeless and the unemployed, they look different. They look in view of people who need to hear the gospel. Or people who need to be reminded that, yes, they're Christians, but they need to be reminded of the hope that's in them. Because we've seen it, and we now can describe it to them. Now we see everything, or we can, about our lives in view of a glorious hope. Because that's what people need. If you want to know, how do you, how do you have people transform their lives? The answer is, give them hope. Give them hope. If somebody is struggling with a terrible, terrible disease, and they think that it's never going to get any better, and then one day they meet somebody who has the same disease, and they, they have a great victorious life anyway. You know, I'm reminded of, there's, I don't know who the person is, but there's a Christian who lost their, I think, both arms and legs, if I'm correct. And yet they go around speaking tours. It's amazing. I mean, you think of, so if somebody has had some kind of a, you know, incapacitation like that, you know, that gives you hope. Wow. Think of the possibilities of how I could still live even if I lost an arm or a leg. Right? But what hope can compare to the hope of resurrection? See, that's a universal gift. I don't care who you are, any human being, all right, to be, to be, to be told as a fact that there's a resurrection of the dead to a life victorious forever and have an eternal life, God's life. That gives hope to everybody. Now, the only people it doesn't give hope to are people who haven't been plugged into that yet. Because, the first, again, the first thing is deal with the fact that you're a sinner. Know that there's nothing you can do about it. No work you can attain. No practice. No attendance at church. or Any of that stuff can fix the sin problem. Only one. The death of Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. One-shot decision. Now you're on to seeing a glorious hope of the resurrection. This hope, of course, was first glimpsed when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by his Father on the third day. He was first. We follow. Christ has given us victory over sin and death, and one day he'll transform our bodies into bodies like his. Transform our bodies into bodies like his. In other words... The body will always be a part of what it means to be human, even in heaven. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? What does that say about God and our bodies? What does that say? Does it say that, you know, he thinks the body is bad, and he's just looking for the day when you will be out of it forever, because body bad, spirit good? Does it say that? Does the fact that he's going to give us a resurrection body for all of eternity, does that say that the body is bad? Of course not. Of course not. So, and quite the opposite. You see, it tells us that God places tremendous value on our human bodies. Our human bodies. You might say, well, yeah, when it's resurrected. Not just when it's resurrected. We're going to see some passages today about the critical importance of our bodies now, before we die, in God's plan for our lives. He's going to redeem these bodies. Yes, they're in a fallen state now. But if you're honest with yourself, they're still pretty miraculous. Even in a fallen state. You know, 
I mean, the, I mean, you know, they're trying to build these robots and all this stuff. But, you know, can you imagine, like, going on vacation with a robot? Right? Oh, what a glorious sunset. Light travels at the speed of 6.08 times 10 to the 23rd or whatever. Boring! So, no. Humans and our bodies. And so... He's going to take that amazing body now, but it's fallen. We have sin in every member of the body. That's not going to change until we die, we get old. So it's not ideal, all right? But still, God has tremendous value on it. Look at Romans 8.23. Romans And the reason why God places tremendous value, we're going to see this, on our bodies is because of what they can do, both on the good side and on the bad side. Look at Romans 8.23. Romans 8.23. And not only this, but also we ourselves, he's been talking about nature and how it's groaning, waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. All right. Then he says, not only nature, but what? We ourselves. Having the first fruits of the Spirit. See, the Spirit indwells our bodies now, which is why, by the way, our body is a, a temple of the Spirit now. That tells you something about the value that God places on bodies, that he would put his Spirit, and that Christ lives in us now. We have that first fruits, but even we are groaning within ourselves because we know our body doesn't match up to the Holy Spirit inside us. There's sort of an incompatibility there. But we're waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, for our, the adoption to be going through fully. How does that happen? The redemption of our body. When our body is redeemed, we will be, we'll see who we have become and we'll be just like the Lord Jesus Christ in his humanity. And then we'll understand we're redeemed from head to toe, mind, spirit, body. Back to 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil, your labor, is not in vain in the Lord. Now, therefore, one other thing that it does is it takes us from something to something. It takes us from teaching. It's a marker. It's a marker that says, now things are about to turn. It's like a it says, now you've been on this path of teaching. It's brought you to the mountaintop. Now we're coming down. And now therefore it says, now you've been taught. Now here's how you're going to live. Or you should. It's from knowing things to doing things. Doing things is a bad word in Christianity for a lot of people. Doing things. Oh, that's legalism. Oh, you know, that's optional. Oh, that's for the holy people. Ah, the pastors and evangelists can do it all, right? See, yeah, no. Uh, this is part of the game plan. All right? This is how we see the value of our bodies to God, by the way. Please turn to Romans 6. Romans 6, verse 8. Romans 6, 8. Romans is a foundation book. No matter where you are in the New Testament epistles, you will find that the, that the foundation of it is in the book of Romans. Okay? Same thing here. Same thing here. Knowing things leading to being a certain way in our bodies. Okay, we see it in Romans. Let's go to Romans 6, verse 8. Now, if or since we've died with Christ, we've already died with Christ, 
We believe that what? We shall also live with him. Resurrection life. Knowing. See where it starts? What does it start with? Knowing. Knowing what? That Christ, having been raised from the dead, the resurrection, is never to die again. Death is no longer master over him. For the death that he died, now we've died with him. And the death that he died, this death that we share in, what, what did he die to? Sin. Notice, once for all. That's the solution of the problem of sin. To go back and say, Jesus Christ died to sin once for all. I died with him, therefore I died to sin once for all time. But the life that he lives, the, life, the eternal life that we've been given, he lives to God even so. Now you know it, but then you have to take it as your own, understand it, grasp it. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin. Because too many of you don't. Too many of yourself are still thinking that you're alive to sin and you've got to fix that. No, you don't. Right? So, so many people think, I have to die to this, I have to die to that. Have you heard about people that say, that? I have to die to this bad habit, I have to die to this. And they just don't understand the truth. You already did. Right? So much of our problems would be solved if we would just say that. It's already happened. You don't have to earn your salvation. Why? Because Christ earned it for you. It's already done. It's finished. All right. Therefore, there's that word. What does therefore mean in many cases? From teaching to practice. Now that you understand that you've died to sin, now what does that mean for your daily life? Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. How can somebody who's died to sin still live in it? It makes no sense. So that you obey its lusts. Do not go on, notice this, presenting the members of your body to sin. A lot of people say, how can I possibly lick that bad tendency in my life? Well, the answer is, is that you've been feeding it. You've been bringing your body to places where it's going to go crazy with that thing, whatever it is. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I'll give you an example from my life. What? I am gaining weight again. By the way, I am. How can I possibly do anything about that? I love food. Answer. Lock the refrigerator after 9 p.m. Right? Don't go on presenting the members to your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But instead, notice this. Present yourself to God first. God first. I'm alive from the dead. And then what? And then also the body Present the members of your body instead as instruments of righteousness to God. The human body is capable of so much bad, but also good. Our body can be used, as it were, by sin in an unrighteous manner, right? Our, our voice can be used in an unrighteous manner, cursing, gossiping. But our voice can be used in a righteous manner, building up, praying, right? Both. James talks about that. The tongue. It's untamable. But same thing with the rest of our bodies. We can use our feet and legs and canes, if you're in that category, um, to go to a good place where you're going to be serving people or exercising your gift. You can also use those same legs to go to a bad place where you know you're going to be tempted to do things that are going to be hurtful. The body matters. It's critical. It's crucial. What we do with our body. Please go to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans 12.1. We're going to see that, that word again. What's the word of the day? Therefore. I'm not going to say the thing that pastors always say about that word. Oh, I guess I have to now. Therefore, 
what is it there for? Yeah, <laughs> but it means this is going to be a shift. Take everything that's come before it and then bring it somewhere. Where? Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your hearts. Present your thinking. Think good thoughts. Nothing wrong with good thoughts, but that's not what he's saying here. What does he say? I urge you now, now that you've had the good thoughts, now that you understand who you are, and the glory and the power of God, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your, say it with me, bodies. Ah, See, that's where the rubber meets the road. A lot of us kid ourselves, you know, at times. We think that the Christian life is only a life where we're, like, off by ourselves, praying, and we should, don't get me wrong, but it's not just that. You see, there's another test, if it were. There's another way we should be looking at our lives, which is, what are you doing with your body? It's kind of a personal question, actually, but but it's God's question. What does he want us to do with it? Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Christ died in his body for you. Live for him and his people. Holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. I love that. Because a lot of people think they're spiritual. But they don't think that applies to what they do with their bodies. A lot of people think they're worshiping. But they don't see the connection between worshiping and what they do with their bodies. Well, guess what? Presenting your bodies is spiritual. It's service and it's worship. That's what he's saying there. Or 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. Bouncing back and forth right now between Romans and 1 Corinthians. Now we're in chapter 6, not 15. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. You have to know, you have to be taught, and then you have to, therefore, do. Okay? See the same here. This is, of course, the letter we've been on. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? How does God look at your body? It's a temple. Huh. The Holy Spirit is in us. That's the statement. But doesn't it change how you see your body? Anytime we're, I know for me, anytime I'm reminded that I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit dwells in me, all of a sudden, things are different about my body. I think of some things I did with my body. I'm like, gee, I forgot. The Holy Spirit's in there all the time. What I'm doing could be the opposite of what the Spirit is all about. Ooh, that's not good, right? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you. You have from God. You are not your own. Your body is not your own. Your body is the Lord's. By the way, in marriage, your body isn't your own either. Remember, we studied that in chapter 7. No, if you're a married man, who does your body belong to? Not you. Your wife, exactly. And the other way around. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, is that therefore? What do we expect now after therefore? More teaching? No, a command, an exhortation. Now live this way. You have been bought with a price. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are not your own. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Glorify God, not just by what you say, although that's part of the body, but the rest of your body too. Glorify God in your body. Is the body important to the Lord? You bet it is. 
What we do, not only is the body itself important to the Lord, but what we do with our bodies matters very much to the Lord. In fact, please turn to 2 Corinthians 5, next book down, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9. What we do with our bodies matters to the Lord. First, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9. In fact, the body is so important to the Lord, what we do with the body is so significant to the Lord that as a matter of fact... The deeds that we do with our body will be evaluated. They'll be judged. And we'll receive rewards for the good work that we do. And that's what's known as the work of the Lord. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.9. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. It's an ambition. For we must all, all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, not for condemnation, Not for whether we're going to heaven or going to the lake of fire, but instead to be recompensed. Notice, we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one, nobody's exempt, may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done. Done. This is a sober reminder of the significance of what we do in our bodies to the the Lord's eyes. According to what he has done, whether good or or bad. All right. According to what he has done, whether good or bad, we'll receive rewards for the good works of the Lord that we do. I don't know what we'll be recompensed with for the bad things we do. Now, we know that we're never going to be condemned for our sins, right? So it's probably just what we don't get. <laughs> what we don't get. The, the days and the areas where I mean, we're not doing according to God's will, call, calling, well, you know what? They're not going to get rewarded for that, right? Okay. So the bottom line is our toil, our work of the body is not in vain, is it? Quite the opposite. Now that we know how important the body is to the Lord, now that we know that what we do with our bodies matters to the Lord, then we are to live a certain way now. We are to be steadfast. Go back to chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, verse 58. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Back to our therefore today. Therefore, my beloved brethren, now that we know that our toil is not in vain, now that we know that Christ has the victory over sin and death, now that we know that our bodies are significant and what we do with, what our, what we do with our bodies matters to the Lord, what? Be steadfast. Make it a priority to be solid in what you believe immovable. Don't, don't be like the Ephesians were being, which is to be t- tossed around by every wind of doctrine. You hear something new today and you're like, oh, I wonder if that's something I need to pay attention to in addition to what I've been taught for 20 years in the Word of God. Of course not, right? Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. How do you not carry out the desires of the flesh? Anybody know that passage from Galatians 5? Walk by means of the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. It's almost like if you think about Lot escaping from Sodom and Gomorrah with his wife, right? It didn't turn out too well for his wife that day. She got turned into a pillar of salt. That's not a good outcome for the day, by the way. So what was the difference? Lot kept his eyes in front, kept going. His wife's turned him back to the old ways, right? Walk by means of the Spirit forward. 
the work of the Lord and you won't carry out the deeds of the flesh. That's the other thing. Best way not to present yourself to temptation is to go in the opposite direction. Flee it and run towards God's calling on your life. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable. The, the two words here, steadfast and immovable in the Greek, are almost the same. It means to be settled, to be steady, steadfast. It, it has to do, though, with the mind. Be steadled in your mind about what you believe. Don't be thrown back. The, the, by the way, God's enemies, whatever, whatever, whatever they might, I don't think they're Satan himself most of the time. He's busy doing other stuff. But demonic influence, fleshly temptation, the world is always going to try to pull you away from being steadfast in the truth. That's why, and don't kid yourself. Don't think more highly of yourself. The way to to overcome that is to go back to the truth and and remind yourself, mine, what's thinking? What's my purpose of my life? The second word means pertaining to not being readily shaken in one's beliefs. It's the same thing. Be firm and steady in what you believe. That was the problem with the, first, with the Corinthians. Look at 1 Corinthians 16, 13 to 14. Let's go forward another chapter. 1 Corinthians, we'll be there next week. I'm going to tell you right now that our verse today, verse 58, okay, is the gateway to all of chapter 6. In addition to the therefore pointing back to what we've learned before, it's also the gateway into chapter 16. So chapter 16 is going to be talking about what the work of the Lord looks like in the lives of individual saints. Be on the alert. says the same thing. Stand firm where? In the faith. In what you believe. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Well, unfortunately, and we know this by studying this book, at this point the Corinthians were anything but firm in their faith. They were not solid on the fundamentals, like the resurrection of the dead. In fact, throughout the letter, Paul kept asking them, don't you know, do you not know, right? Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know those things? Don't you know that you've died to sin? The first thing they needed was to get a grip. Anybody ever tell you that? Get a grip. That's what Paul is telling them. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Get a grip. On the truth of the gospel. That's where it begins. Especially the resurrection. And at the beginning of chapter 15, we saw that he said, I'm going to give you the gospel. And he said to him, hold it fast. If you, if you don't believe what's in the gospel, including the resurrection, then you've believed in vain. What's the point? If you're not going to believe the facts of the gospel, what's the point? That's, remember he said that? Your toil is not in vain in the Lord. The Greek word for toil, notice toil in verse 58. Knowing that your toil is not in vain, but you do, your work. You don't need to know this, but it's kopos. It means to labor to the point of weariness. You see, that's where we, where we sang, you know, when I'm, I, I, I glory in my weakness. Okay, well, then you should be okay with being weak. <laughs> see, it's not just a song or what we think, it's also reality. I'm not going to give up because I'm weak. I may be tired, but I'm going to keep going. This is the work of the Lord. I'm going to have power from the Lord. It's not my own anymore, man. I am tired. I am beat up. So it's got to be you now, Lord. Labor. You know, Paul used it as a missionary term. You know, he talked about... Don't go there because we've got to keep moving here. 
You know, he's talking about his own labor, his own kapos, as his missionary work. This is a clue. You might say, what is the work of the Lord? We're supposed to always abound in the work of the Lord. What is it? For Paul, it was his missionary activity. Didn't he labor to the point of exhaustion? Wasn't he beaten up and left for dead and it didn't stop him? I'm not saying that that's your calling, but that's a good image of how we have to be in our calling. Tenacious about it. Holding firm to what we believe. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Not in vain. We heard that before in this chapter. In fact, this is the fourth time he's talked about being something in vain or not. We saw the word, kinos, meaning empty. Knowing that our work is not empty. It's not meaningless. It's very meaningful in the Lord. Earlier in the chapter, we talked about the fact that if there's no resurrection of the dead, Christ hasn't been raised. If Christ hasn't been raised, our preaching is vain. Kinos, remember that? Useless, empty. Your faith also. All the things that we claim to believe as Christians, they're empty if there's not the resurrection. That's how important it is. That's how important it is to preach the resurrection when we preach the gospel. If the resurrection of the dead is a lie, or if it's true, but you don't believe it, then that faith is in vain. But the labor is not. He would talk also. Please turn to 1 Corinthians verse, chapter 15, verse 10. Let's go back to verse 10. Notice the vanity here. It's different. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. There's the vanity. Was not empty. His grace was not to, was, was not to no effect. It had an effect in my life, a big one. How did it have an effect? I labored. I worked harder to the point of exhaustion, never being dissuaded. Not, no matter what happened to me, I kept going. But it wasn't really me, right? I labored even more than all of them, but not me, but the grace of God with me. And his labor was preaching the gospel and the word of God. If there's no resurrection of the dead, all of his work, all of our work in the Lord is for nothing. But if there is, and yes, there is, all our work is worthwhile. All right. I've got to speed up a little bit. You know, I can't give you everything I want. I mean, I could, but we'd be here till noon. All in favor? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, one more time. Verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. That word for abounding means to excel. Always excel to, to, to beyond what you can even think you can do. Abounding. There's a, if you want a picture of it, okay, think about Psalm 23. That's a picture of abounding. Your cup is overflowing, beyond capacity. It begins with the grace of God, which is super abounding in your life. But the grace of God is to be made to an effect, which is the labor of your life. Both should be super abounding, flowing, okay? 
By the way, in, in chapter 14, this is, we're going to have to close right now, it appears here also. Look, go back to chapter 14 for a moment. I want you to notice, what is this superabounding? When he says that I am to abound in the labor of the Lord, the work of the Lord, what is the work of the Lord? Well, we get a clue here in chapter 14. So also you, since you're zealous of the gift, right? We're zealous of the gift. What are we supposed to do? Seek to abound. Labor in your gift. Pour yourself out in your gift. Why? So that people can see how powerfully God has blessed me. Seek to abound in your gift so people will be impressed. Is that what it says? Of course not. It says, seek to abound for the edification of the church. You want to know what the work of the Lord is? It's that which builds up and edifies the church. Maybe you're an evangelist and you're adding numbers to the church. Maybe you're a pastor and you're giving the word to the church. But maybe you have the gift of mercy and you're there to help people who are struggling. Maybe you have the gift of giving. Whatever it is, administration, whatever it is, seek to abound in it. Take take the reins of it and understand that this is where my victory is going to play out day by day in the gracious gift God has given me and my laboring in it. Don't forget that part. You know, to be a pastor is not just to have your certificate of ordination on the wall. It's to labor at it, isn't it? Imagine if I came up every week and all I did was just teach the same lesson because I wasn't willing to labor in the Word of God. Now, how how much building up would that do? Not very much. I could call myself a pastor if I wanted to. But I'm not laboring in it. Right? Same thing with all the gifts. If you, are, if you have prophecy, then you should prophesy according to the... That's teaching now. According to the proportion of your faith. If you're called to service, then you should serve. If you're called to teach, then be where you can teach and do it. If you're... Exor- if you're you said, I have the gift of exhortation. Well, okay... So put your body in a place where people need to be exhorted and exhort them. Giving with liberality. Leading with diligence. Put your heart and soul into being a leader. Find out how to be the best possible leader you can possibly be. Oh, no, not to make money with a Fortune 500 company, but to build up and edify the church. All right, we're going to end there today. Just, I just want you to understand a couple of points which we've just seen. The work of the Lord, we're going to see this next week. What is it? It's very simple. So many things in the Word of God are. You know, people take the work of the Lord and they'll teach a whole message on it or a whole series and it'll all be their opinion. Maybe it's the, it's the work of the day. It's the work they want people to do, right? Maybe they'll say it's a social cause. The work of the Lord is to make sure there's no more inequality anywhere in the world. Good luck. But is that the work of the Lord? No, nothing wrong with that, but it's not the work of the Lord. The work of the Lord has to do with building up and edifying the body of Christ. Ooh, that's narrow. Well, maybe it's narrow, but you have to see something about the body of Christ. It's the fullness of Christ. Now, is it still narrow? And again, how do I get practical with that? What can I grab onto? This is how I do it. And again, it's real simple. It's your spiritual gift. Paul spent three chapters on it in 1 Corinthians, right? 12, 13, and 14. All right? So there's Romans chapter 12, which we've been in today, the same thing. That's what you do. You say, I'm going to live and strive, in whatever, however I'm gifted by the Lord, to contribute that to the building up and edification of the church.
Well, again, chapter 15, verse 58 is our gateway to where we're going to start next week, chapter 16, where we're going to start to see that work of the Lord, that building up and edifying the church in action, in individual lives. That's where we're going to be. We're going to be, we're done today with chapter 15. We're moving to chapter 16 and we're going to see illustrations, examples of what it means to actually be involved in the work of the Lord, to see it in action. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again today. We thank you for all the things you have blessed us with, the graces that you've placed in our lives, the spiritual blessings. All of the gifts that you've given us, most importantly, your son, his death and resurrection. We do ask, Father, that there would be a therefore in our lives, that we would pivot, being filled up by all the fullness of of God, the love of God, your love for us, who we are, who we're going to be, the resurrection, being filled to capacity and overflowing with the good news of that. Help us to pivot, a therefore, into, into grasping in our lives and, and, and grasping our gifts and do it for all we're worth. We uh, also, once again, Father, please, in particular, help us to be bold in, in as much as we see the victory is overwhelming and powerful. Help us to be bold in speaking the gospel to people that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and you raised him on the third day. And simply by believing in Christ, in God, raising him from the dead, that we will be saved. Help us to bring that hope to whoever we meet. And we just ask, Father, that you would empower us to do that. In Christ's name, amen. All right, you're welcome to join us on Thursdays. All right, Skype is how we do it. If you don't know how to do it, you can email Mark, except for next week. No, this this week. This Thursday... um, all right, don't get too nervous about all this, but I'm actually going to try to set up Skype for everybody this week. Yeah, so wish me luck on that. So anyway, so I guess then that means that you're going to have to send an email to me, pastor at lbible.org, if you need to get on. Pray for me that I can be of service. Remember our giving policy. We don't pass around a basket. We don't have tithing. That's Old Testament, right? We have people freely giving, as God has freely given to us, for the purposes of what God has called us to do, which is to support one another, to build up the body, to be there to help people in need, to support the, the evangelism and mis- missionary work. So um, I, I just would ask that you would take seriously that calling that we have to give generously. Yes, it's got to be based on how the Lord blesses us. We're going to see this in chapter 16 but it's to be done with, that, with a joyful heart and to be something that we want to excel in every bit as much as everything else about Christian life. All right, if you have any questions about the message today or anything about the Word of God at all, you can email me at any time it's gone. You can email, but you won't find me because I'll be basking in a, very, in a beautiful stream. Wait a minute, now that's gone. I, I don't know what's going on. That's my email. Pastor at lbible.org. Okay, now back into the stream. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for all your good things. We ask now, Father, as we leave, we ask you, Father, to please bless us and protect us. We know that you will. We know that you have all power. 
to take care of us. So help that to embolden us, not to run away from the problems and difficulties of life, but to stand our ground in the firm truth and the hope of the resurrection. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. By the power of the Spirit, we pray. Amen. All righty. With that, you're dismissed. And uh, go live in that therefore, whatever it is therefore.